Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Second Term Buckle Podcast. My name is Toogie, joined, as always, by the one, the only, the illustrious, the incomparable Crash Andrews. Stop it. Stop more. No, I'm just kidding. Hi. Keep going. Keep going. Stop, <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, they can't see my hand bringing more in. Well, I'm saying, oh, don't stop. Don't yeah, stop. Keep, don't stop. Keep, 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 keep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, second term buckle, everybody. If you don't know, first and foremost, if you don't know, well, hey, you're here now, and that's the important thing. But this is a show where two dudes talk about wrestling. I think, you know, we've really found a niche that isn't exactly being capitalized on in the podcast game. And I, I think we're striking the iron while it's hot. And we talk about, uh, you know, the, the happenings of the past week in the wrestling world. Yeah, that and, and opinions. I mean, we have them. We you are don't have opinionated to white men. There's not enough of those. <laughs> you don't have to agree with them, but, uh, you know, we uh, we always chat uh, to one another and uh, our opinions usually find a way to, uh, uh, again, there's a different era between the two of us. There's, uh, there's an age difference. There's a... Um, Desire to know more difference. <laughs> if that's there, there's uh, there's a nationality difference. Yeah, this is true, eh? Yeah. So Except uh, I yeah, say no. a way too much because of the amount of Canadians I've associated with in my time on YouTube and Twitch over the years. So you're you're basically Canadian though. You you're like northeastern American, which I is am pretty damn close. forty. I, I don't know if it's 45 minutes. I, I, it's a day trip for me to go to the easternmost point in the continental United States. Okay. It's a day trip. <laughs> but how far away are you from Canada? Not very. <laughs> no? Not that shows all. you how Canadian I am. I have no idea where Maine is on a map. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine Canadian geography to be like, okay, you got Vancouver way the hell over there. You're in Alberta, so you, you'd actually be like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you got Edmonton, Calgary, whatever. Whole bunch of nothing Toronto coast. Is that Canadian yeah, that's, geography? That's basically how we're taught <laughs> as well. Yeah. Don't forget Winnipeg in there as well. Can't forget Winnipeg. Oh, oh is Winnipeg that notable? Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't have an airport. Right? Did you know Winnipeg does not have an airport? That's a lie, isn't it? No. I had a friend who worked at the airport. Was he lying to me the whole time? He wasn't even your friend. <laughs> <laughs> my my whole life is different now. Okay. That's a, that's I don't a know. true I'm story. Sure somebody's going to fact check me. And if I'm wrong, throw it on Twitter. Maybe they has to have an airport. <laughs> How and how like three minutes into a wrestling podcast are you making me Google Winnipeg Airport? How did that hey, happen? Three minutes into the last podcast, you made me name all the NWO <laughs> characters. So fuck you right back. <laughs> oh god. Okay, so they do have an airport. Good for good for Winnipeg. They do good for Winnipeg. Yeah, it's the seventh busiest airport in Canada. <laughs> what an accomplishment. <laughs> We're number seven, just like the Jets in terms of NHL teams. That's got to be the- like, it's got to be like a, a like an airstrip, not an airport. Oh, God. 
I'm sure the I mean, one they, in Kelowna is bigger than the one in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg is three times the size of a city. Oh, God. I mean, it's the big cities you'd expect for uh, Canadian air traffic. It is. So. All right, Crash. Name all seven. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian airport traffic. Go. Toronto. Yes, sir. Ottawa. Ottawa is number seven. Okay, so it's in there. Mm-hmm. You said that Winnipeg was seven. Apparently, they moved up to sixth. I stand correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Montreal Winnipeg on the rise. Yeah, Montreal. Yep, they're number four. Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Number two. Uh, Calgary's number three. Edmonton's number five. Can you guess so eight, nine, one? and ten? Did I get all the? Okay, so but there was. Si- Oh well, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Technically, you missed you missed a big one. Uh, no, you big? said Ottawa. You said Ottawa. You're fine. Yeah. Rounding um, up the top ten: Halifax at eight, Kelowna at nine, and Victoria International Airport ten. Would you believe? Would you? I mean, God. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to Thunder Bay. I just learned they have an airport. Shout out for Thunder Bay. Hey, time It's going to fly over here and kick my ass after. <laughs> so welcome to our wrestling podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is this is the selling point. This is it. We are hymns uh, with that. Shall we start off this podcast as we like to do by dipping in to the va- to the mailbag? I was going to say the viewer mailbag, but we don't have viewers. We have listeners, though. We're, you know, we're if we're if, if I could, if yes, I could, there was uh, there was some pretty sad news. Uh, coming out of the world of uh, wrestling that I'd, uh, uh, you know. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about this, because I yeah. wrote down, we like to just kind of kind of go for it, right? Like, we talked yeah. about that. Like, let's just talk and see where it goes. And occasionally it goes into Canadian airport traffic. But <laughs> I wasn't sure how much of necessarily, like, an impact this would have had outside of, like, you know, the... The sympathy of you know the magnitude of it, but right. yeah, continue. Well, obviously we are talking about Antonio Inoki uh, passing mm-hmm. away, and um, uh, what Tugi's alluding to. If this is the first podcast of the second turnbuckle that you've listened to, uh, Japan wrestling, strong style, what have you, uh, isn't necessarily my forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that. I think that I understand the impact that Inoki had on wrestling. Um, Like, obviously, reading all the sentiments that have come out over the past week or so uh, since his passing um, have obviously... There's a huge impact around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I know he's had amazing matches, uh, some (laughs) less amazing than others, but, uh, I mean... uh, when you're able to wrestle Hulk Hogan at the height of Hulk Hogan in Japan, there's something to be said about the impact you've had on professional wrestling. Yeah, uh, Hulk was, Hogan wouldn't have been the biggest star in that match. That's what's saying something. <laughs> oh, and, and how, how do you come to an agreement with Hulk Hogan at the height of Hulk Hogan that he comes over to Japan and wrestles with you because you're either doing the job or doing the job like Hogan Hmm. at that point was unbeatable. 
Uh, I'm just I've done a quick search on Twitter to uh, to see. I mean, there's pictures with him with Ric Flair. Didn't know he wrestled Ric Flair. My knowledge base of his career is tiny, but on the same token, I absolutely respect the impact that Inoki had uh, on professional wrestling. To sum it down even more, um, the only real impact that he had, and I garnered a lot of respect for him, was the match with the great Antonio. Uh, and that's not a match that I just jumped into. That's a match that I've seen uh, at least highlights or, or a good chunk of uh, that's been replayed a lot uh, mm. since his passing. Um, with, with special Bill Burr commentary. <laughs> for the most fair. part. <laughs> fair. Um, I respect somebody who's put in that situation and absolutely respects the business when mm. somebody else doesn't. Um, I'm not going to put him on the same pedestal. I'm not going to put him on, you know, I like using the term apples and oranges. Um, Bill Goldberg and Steven Regal. I, uh, I kind of put those like, uh, or William Regal uh, to those who don't have the WCW background. Um, or was he? Yeah, he was Steven Regal in WCW mm -hmm. and William Regal in WWE. Yes, I, I digress. Um, you know, sometimes you have to see how somebody's going to react, and if they don't react correctly, uh, there's receipts. There's there's some respect. Uh, basically, what happened in this match is a very large gentleman by the name of the Great Antonio. I don't know where he came from or anything like that, but. I think he basically, noted Canadian, the great Antonio. Was he Canadian too? I believe so. Jeez. Yeah. Um, basically, no sold uh, Antonio Noki's uh, offense uh, for a lot of the match and even went so far as to be stiff uh, during his offense. And uh, Noki had enough, started slapping him around. Uh, and this is a big dude. Uh, and I'm not talking about Anoki. I'm talking about the great Antonio. Um, but Anoki, in his own right, was uh, was a large man, a uh, tall man, and just starts uh, beating him and kicking him. Uh, did a nice uh, little takedown to get uh, Antonio onto the ground and just kicked him in the face multiple times to the point that the referee had to step in and, and stop the fight. Mm. And it was a legit shoot fight at that point. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. My knowledge base of Anoki is small uh, compared to the two of us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't um, respect the impact that he's had on professional wrestling. And completely outside of what I've talked about, which, which uh, wrestling division did he create? New Japan. It was in New Japan. Okay. I think I knew that, but I was I didn't want to be like, oh, when he created uh, New Japan or oh, he created Noah, right? No, he didn't. Mm. It was it's OK I, to not know the answer, too. That's fine. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, I, I, you know, more of the nerd between the two of us, let's be honest, in terms of, yeah. you know, consuming that information in terms of like I am aware of of his history um, in terms of how he started his career under. Ricky Dozan, who is still the most really like essentially the father of, of Japanese wrestling. 
still, right? And out of that, you had Antonio Inoki, and he went and found New Japan. You had Giant Baba, who went and founded All Japan. Um, and people can debate who they think the, the the fourth person should be on that Mount Rushmore, but Antonio Inoki is on the Mount Rushmore of all-time important figures in the history of Japanese wrestling. He's also on the all-time you know Mount Rushmore of most impressive chins in human history. Uh, so he's got he's got he had a lot of things going for him. Obviously, um, I wasn't surprised with Dream's face reveal when I saw <laughs> Antonio Noki. Sorry, that, bad bad <laughs> joke. Bad that, joke. That hashtag. In there. Gotta gotta relate to the young guy, the young kids of the. Uh, welcome to the podcast, kids. Dream yeah. reference. <laughs> Y'all, y'all play the Nintendo 64? Commodore? What? Right, Com- how you doing with them video games this, this time? Uh, do you like that Mario? I was 64 with Commodore, not Nintendo, you nerds. <laughs> uh, look, in terms, and I think we can kind of sum it up like this, like, it is that important of a figure that you know, if if you try to go beyond just dipping your toe into the pool in terms of discussing how important he is, you're doing a disservice because then the entire podcast needs to be about him. Right. Like, it's like you, could, you could take a glance at it, but if you try to go in depth, you better go in depth because he is that important um, of a figure. It is a shame. I mean, his passing, I believe, was on the. 50th if not 60th anniversary of uh his his first match um you know this year is new japan's 50th anniversary um you know he was scheduled to be a much larger part of events this year including uh, later on this month they were going to name him honorary chairman for life um you know they were really trying to work him back into the fold because there was a time where he was very much out of the fold uh, due to certain decisions he had made. He is a figure that genuinely, if there, you know, there are wrestlers where it's like, okay, if there were multiple biographies about these people, like who would have enough content to fill out multiple biographies? He's one of the few. He's Whether the Lord of the Rings. His, of... his in-ring work, his right. crafting of the scene in terms of a promotion, after his wrestling career in terms of his political side of things. Oh, right, too, because he was an he was an actual politician. Yes, he was. Yeah. And I mean, just his importance in the culture. You know, I heard it discussed on other podcasts. You know, this is someone who, yes, got the treatment of being this like mythical figure within anime or had his face on pachinko machines, like bona fide celebrity out of the world of professional wrestling, like. You know, you're you're thinking it's bare minimum what Hulk Hogan was in the mid to late 80s. Bare minimum. That is that is almost doing him a disservice in terms of the pop right. culture impact that he had. So I'd, I'd ask you this then, because the the measuring stick I would have would be McMahon. And I would imagine I, I would imagine your answer will be a greater impact, not only because um, he had the wrestling was a huge star as a wrestler yeah created one of the biggest long-term uh successful wrestling companies in, in new mm-hmm. japan and has been you know a father figure to a lot of the great 
wrestlers that we're seeing right now. So McMahon, as as the longevity has been there up until recently, um, didn't have that wrestling background. He only he worked for his father, and his father basically handed him the keys. Mm. Now, uh, and I don't mean to disparage the beginning of WWE or World Wrestling, what was the Worldwide Wrestling, mm-hmm. or anything like that, and. To the extent that was a smaller company to where it is right now and then eating up all the territories and everything like that. But I would imagine that the impact if we were in uh, Coco Sports Land looking at professional wrestling from that vantage point in Japan, we would absolutely be saying that it's Inoki just astronomically higher than McMahon ever could achieve yeah because like i said he had the in-ring career but he also had the career as a promoter and then obviously like we mentioned the politician side of things too um because there was a real risk for japanese wrestling at the time of and again jesus talk about someone you could have an entire podcast about in terms of ricky dozan and his uh, like literally creating the the wrestling scene in japan um they're they're you know in a sense i don't want to say that there could have been like a like a vacuum in terms of power or just, you know, the entire popularity of wrestling dying out, but massive uncertainty when the biggest star in the history of Japanese wrestling dies before the age of 40 murdered by the way, um, you know, and then his two essentially star pupils pick up the ball with rivaling companies and it works for both of them. And both companies are still going today. You know, there's a lot of history there, but no doubt that is the biggest story of the week. It's one of the biggest stories of the year. Like if you recap 2022, like, yeah, you're going to be talking about the the power shift in in the WWE side of things. But you also need to talk about the the loss of one of the most important figures, not just for Japanese wrestling, but wrestling in general, because obviously that impact very much extended over here as well. And I can't wait till. uh and I, I don't mean like, oh, I'm super excited for, but uh, just hearing you say that, like the the last podcast before 2023, recapping like the top five stories, because this year has just been so bonkers. Like, it's not going to be like Dolph Ziggler cashing in money in the bank. It's like the landscape has changed right. three or four times this year. Yes, absolutely. Um, mailbag then shall we and then yeah. uh we'll take it from there and you mentioned coco earlier of course at coco sports k-o-c-o twitch.tv as well slash coco sports thanks for answering my last question question You're welcome, this time. Coco. <laughs> as a booker slash promoter it's your job to hide people's weaknesses who's a wrestler that may not have been the best in ring but you would love to book to make into a star mine is mark henry so a wrestler that may not have been the best in the ring or may not currently be the best in the ring, where if it was up to you, you would do whatever you had to do to make sure they were a star of the promotion. I get where the question's coming from, and I would just want to clarify that I absolutely, and we've mentioned it on the podcast, I love the Hall of Pain, Mark Henry. Mm -hmm. I think Mark Henry on the mic was a little bit more detrimental than Mark Henry in the ring. Because Mark Henry could Out- hide behind being the powerhouse. Outside of the salmon jacket promo, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that was... That carried on what- the back of promotion as opposed to trying to... Like, all he had to do was convey, I'm sure, some real emotions he had 
at the time. But, you know, in, in terms uh, of dipping how do you into do that, that when your book is sexual chocolate, though. Like, <laughs> I'm he's also too making... it's like, damn, they had me impregnate an old woman with a hand, and now here I right. am going to have a main event program with John Cena. I'd fucking cry too. Yeah, but the the contract, the contract, and I'm using quotation fingers because we don't know exactly whether the contract that when he first came out was legit or not, but it was a high priced contract. No, he was getting paid a lot of money initially when he first signed a lot. So for a long time. Right. Like from what I remember, it was like a 10 year, Mm -hmm. $10 million contract, which at that time was huge. Yes. Um, so I don't know about you, but I'll walk around in a satin house coat being called sexual chocolate, taking China out on dates. And mm-hmm. <laughs> as you mentioned, hand, um, if those checks still clear, like he can't just go like, you know what? It didn't work. I'm, I'm going to retire. You're still taking that money and good on him for doing it, but also good on him for realizing you know, okay, I'm at this point, like, I don't know what the discussion was, whether it was Mark Henry saying, just let me be me, or if it was uh, a decision that Vince McMahon had. Because I know that, you know, you hear the stories that McMahon and and Mark Henry through everything were cordial. They were very Mm. on the same page. Um, And to an extent, you have to build that trust with McMahon, whether it's physically with your body, as we saw with Mick Foley, or you just do what he asks and sooner or later he throws you a bone and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you continue to do what he asks you to do, right? So yeah, I would make the argument that not quite the best example with Mark Henry, but on the same token, um, I don't know if I would have changed anything or if I'm going to mention anybody who... Uh, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, later era Yokozuna. Because I think what we had in Yokozuna, and when he passed away, he was still young. He was still in his 30s. Young Mm -hmm. by uh, wrestling standards. Um, He just got, I think he just got caught up in the lifestyle, and as much as he knew he needed to stay at a certain weight, just didn't want to. Or what have you. uh, Based on some of the documentaries and everything. So, I thought Yokozuna, when he first came in, was an absolute beast, an absolute monster. And even when he was a little bit more tame and a little bit more psychological, pairing him up with Bret Hart was one of the most genius things they could have done. Um, That pairing with uh, Owen and uh, Jim Cornette uh, was one of the greatest tag teams. I don't care who you are. You got to respect that grouping and then throw Mr. Fuji in there as well. Like you had a four man stable, but only two of them wrestled. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's, there's a couple of young guys that I, I absolutely love that I think are close, like a Rick Boogs or, um, I'm trying to think of the other guy that was with Happy Corbin that you won't know. Cause that's a, that's a <laughs> pretty recent yeah, reference. Right. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> um, other than that, I would even go as far to mention as saying, you know, the past three years of, of NXT call-ups. Just making sure that I don't know what you would change or anything. I would 
keep their names and let them continue to be the characters, but I don't know how I would, uh, how we would, uh, protect them, so to speak, other than just let them continue being who we invested in in NXT, as we've talked about many times on this podcast. So my hang up with this question is the quote, who's a wrestler that may not have been the best in ring or may not be the best in ring. Because when I think back, there are two guys in the WWE that I feel like could have been huge stars and they either just dropped the ball immediately or didn't pull the trigger at the right time. Mm -hmm. Sean O'Hare with the 2003 promos that everyone talks about. Right. Cut that off at the fucking knees immediately by saddling him with Roddy Piper, which look, I get the idea. Put a young guy with somebody else, but that it was oil and water. Like the two gimmicks at the time, the story at the time, like, you know, you have Sean O'Hare, I think a judgment day. Oh, three wrestling Rikishi, but Roddy Piper's in Sean O'Hare's corner. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, it's a shame that we are nearly it's absurd to me. Almost 20 years ago was when this was taking place with Sean O'Hare on the WWE roster. That's weird. That's that's one of those things that feels like it was only five years ago. But you're right. It was around 2000. It was 2000. Yeah, I mean, I was nine years old, man. It was 2003. I remember it clear (laughs) as day. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I have to. We have to emphasize these things. The problem is Sean O'Hare wasn't bad in the ring. I no. think anybody that watched late WCW knows that the likes of he, uh, Mark Jindrak, Chuck yes. Palumbo were these younger guys who were getting chances in the ring, and they weren't that bad. Yes. So I can't say Sean O'Hare. Then there's an example of another guy who, again, I don't think you can say it was bad in the ring, but I think he could have been a much bigger star. And I don't know. If you are a fan of OSW at all, Crash, and if you're not, get on that. It is <laughs> arguably, it's my, if I had to pick someone wrestling related, I do like the Wrestling Bios channel a lot too, but OSW's, I mean, top. Um, And, you know, they always make the joke of, uh, their their long running joke is who was in your, your boys stable? Like the guys who weren't the greats that didn't win world titles, but you fucking love them anyway. My number one on that list is Test. And Test okay. was a he was strong in ring. I think you yes. can go back and see what he had done with with Shane McMahon or uh Brock Lesnar at the O2 King of the Ring. Even the uh you know the Eddie Guerrero match at WrestleMania 17 was okay. You could tell there were some things that were off about that. I don't think anyone in the anyone could say about Test that he was bad in the ring. Right. The problem with Test is that they didn't pull the trigger on him being a big deal. And what I mean by that is back in 1999, they had the storyline with Test and Stephanie. I knew you were going to go there. I knew uh-huh. 100% you were going there. And you had the chance, uh, you know, especially after that SummerSlam where Test beat Shane McMahon to be able to stay in the relationship with Stephanie. And then shortly after that, it just crumbles because and then by the end of the year, Stephanie has turned on Vince and is an active on screen character with Triple H. As a mm-hmm. heel, you had a phenomenal chance to make, and Tess never really had the big program with Triple H about that either. He didn't. You had he a phenomenal didn't. chance to take Tess from a mid Carter up to that main event level, and they didn't do it. 
But again, he's not bad in the ring. So does he qualify for this? See, and so, that's, that's the other ahead. part with this question that was tough was there's a lot of guys that I could look past um, a lot of things. But if you're bad in the ring, you don't go anywhere. There's no protecting you. Like, look Especially at, in the modern day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, would Brock Lesnar be anywhere in WWE without Paul Heyman? No. Um, <laughs> the reason so I say that is because if, if you've gone back to 2003, um, and I'll shout out another great wrestling uh, content creator, Wrestling With Regret on YouTube, he recently revisited two pay-per-views back in 2003, uh, Vengeance and No Mercy. And Brock Lesnar's single face run in 2003 wasn't that bad because it's Brock Lesnar. Just let him destroy shit. Who cares? But right. then they turned him heel and aligned him with Vince. And he had to cut solo on his own heel promos. And he fucking drowned. It was right. brutal. He's obviously at that point, nearly 20 years ago, not the Brock Lesnar that I've seen the clips of, you know, from his interactions with like Sami Zayn in the past two years. I think too, like current day Brock Lesnar still struggles, but he's managed to make it something that isn't a hindrance as much. I mean, maybe it's maybe it is just the fact that he's got that uh, resume behind him of being the beast for 20 minus a few years. Uh, His work in UFC is absolutely impressive even though that was a short window as well, that he can now go out there and have a subpar uh, charismatic uh, promo, and we were into it. But you're 100% right. Like He needed somebody to be on the mic versus somebody who is bad in the ring. Like The only person I can really think of that I would absolutely say was bad in the ring over the past five to ten years that I really noticed was Nia Jax. Nia Jax would injure people left, right, and center. Um, (laughs) That, and I don't know how you protect her because it almost played to her size and the type of character that she really should have been was, like, if you get in the ring with her, she's going to hurt you. Uh, it's almost literally I don't know. she's yes. going to hurt you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I think if say, you're bad in the ring, there's there's no fixing that. Like you can't have amazing promos and be shit in the ring. So, see, I, that brings me right to my point, And thank you for that. I don't think by the standard of bad in the ring with today's wrestling that someone we define as bad is even necessarily that bad. Because if they're dreadful, they're not going to make it. Right. So my answer for someone who was quote-unquote bad, even though she is not, and she's pretty good for how long she's been in the business, my choice to be the star is Jade Cargill in AEW. Oh, okay. She's the choice. And you can tell that's the path that they are trying to go down. She has that presence, that charisma, down to a goddamn T already. She's only 30 years old. You 
get that in-ring work up to a more acceptable level, mm-hmm. sky's the limit. Absolutely. You know, that's all you need. Like, at the same time, like, like I said, because you look at the women on that AEW roster who are really good in the ring, the Athenas of the world, Jamie Hayter, Chris Statlander, um, I mean, shit, Nyla Rose, and, and so many others. Obviously, uh, Serena Deeb. There are yep. some phenomenal wrestlers among that women's roster. Right. If you can get Jade Cargill to get up to not quite that level, I don't think Jade Cargill will ever be able to put on a match like uh, like Riho, for example, or um, God, any one of the people I named, Hikaru Shida comes to mind as well. But if she can get that standard up to be able to put on the matches, I don't want to say be carried because that sounds offensive and that's not what I mean by that. But, you know, if she in a sense, though, like if she can get her in-ring work to a three out of five, if she's in there with a four or a five out of five, she's golden in the ring and everything else she already has going for. And I think... You know, like there, there's been all that talk now for fucking hell, nearly a decade about the women's revolution. And boy, Soraya brought that up on Wednesday. We'll see if we get to that. Um, you know, all that talk of what women's wrestling has been and in, in the mainstream wrestling promotions and at the forefront. Someone like Jade Cargill being the rightful face of AEW's women's division. I think that would do a lot for the promotion. Do we do we have time for a side tangent that's related to that? I think we always do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we always make time. Mm. I don't, well, at least I'm asking this time, right? Um, I think where they're really messing up with Jade Cargill mm-hmm. and where they're really messing up with FTW is FTW or FTR? FTR sorry, FTR. No, it's not um, there you go on your bingo sheet. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> FTR. As soon as I said it to him, like, that's not right. Uh, FTR and Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill is on a 30 plus match win streak. Mm-hmm. Was not featured uh, at All Out as a main contender for the women's division title. Fair. She does have the. TBS, which is it is viewed as a secondary. Let's be honest. It's viewed as the U.S. title of the women's division. Correct. Now, this is where I bring in FTR. FTR's parading around AEW with every other uh, promotions belt, basically, Mm -hmm. except for Impact and except for WWE. Like all the other major guys, they've got the titles and they're parading around AEW. How many title matches have they had since they've started that kind of persona? Well, I think maybe one, but I think it was like a triple threat or something so like that. So it's funny because I, I did mark this down as a topic of conversation in regards to AEW. And I think, you know what, we'll, we'll talk about AEW in a general sense and then dip back to the mailbag and see where that brings us. You know. I, I would say in a general sense, the AEW on-screen product is still entertaining. Yes. For the most part, you know, yes. I mean, yeah, this this past Wednesday had a, an interesting moment. I kind of mentioned the uh, the former page Soraya's, um, you know, direction that they took with her with her first promo and everything. Um, we'll see 
is the best way I can sum that up. It the execution wasn't flawless to say the least. Um, she didn't really do herself any favors on social media, and we'll talk about AEW performers and social media in a second. Um, by you know, people were essentially calling her out for a shot at WWE. And I think she deserved to be called out. You know, she had the line about an employer that would listen to her finally. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, they kept you employed all this time, even though you couldn't wrestle. You know? Right. So, you know, AEW on screen, for the most part, pretty good. I mean, especially, too, I don't know if you saw the Jericho Bandito match. Which was, it was great, man. Yeah, it was great. I mean... Bandito himself is a fucking phenomenal wrestler. I mean, it's it does remind me of being a kid and seeing Eddie Ray Psychosis for the first time. Hooventude, like he's yep. fucking unreal. He really is, is. That's what I've heard about that match too. Was it? It felt like uh, we talked about this during um, All Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I said it? It's starting to feel like late nineties, early two thousands. WCW, just the pacing and everything like that, and it's mm-hmm. it's not that slow match that needs arm bars and and headlocks for the guys to rest. Like it's just spot after spot after spot, which is fantastic. So, uh, just I don't know if you read the dirt sheets. We like bringing up the mm. dirt sheets. We'll um, WWE was actually looking for Bandito's number halfway through that match. And How do you not dis- have his number heading into the match? <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. Like that's that type of headline. It's one of those like this guy is not a secret and he hasn't been for years. Both companies were worse off for neither one of them having him under a full time contract yet. Unless there's right. a story to that in terms of like a, a you know work visa or whatever. But uh, shout out to Chris Jericho, by the way, as well. He is having arguably the best in ring year of his career. He has been that good. I don't know how many of his matches you've seen this year. He has been fucking amazing. And this Bandito match was a great encapsulation of that because Bandito obviously has a lot of the newer style high flying off at Jericho did not shy away from taking any one of Bandito's signature spots. And given that there's one spot in particular off the top rope that he still took at like what? 52. How old yeah. is Chris Jericho right now? I'm pretty sure he's 52. 51. He'll turn 52 next month. So there you go. It's ridiculous. Like right. it, was a, it was a great match. And to continue the point about the on-screen product, and I promise you this comes yes, back yes, to yes. FCR. Yes. You know, their anniversary show on Wednesday looks strong on paper, of course. The next week after that, they're having Hangman Page, John Moxley in a world title match. That's going to be fucking awesome. In-ring, bell-to-bell. Pretty much in general, the shows on paper are good. But like I talked about last week, there's some negatives to AEW. And I think obviously 2022 is going to be known as the year that they really had growing pains. Mm-hmm. You know, off of the end of 2021, Danielson's here. Punk is here. Adam Cole is here. They got a shitload of momentum. And this year, it's just been kind of one thing after another. You have, you know, certainly some some booking things that you can you can look at to be like, okay, like, are these the right choices? Especially the decision to buy Ring of Honor. Was that the right choice, given that it still hasn't taken off as its own promotion and the effect that's had on the roster? You have everything that happened with CM Punk, obviously, and the effect that that's had. This is going to be known. You know, AEW, they're celebrating their third year of Dynamite. 
this is the most, uh, you know, most amount of struggles they've had as a promotion so far. And a lot of that is down to all the stuff I mentioned, the continual effect of social media in a negative sense, because there was another fucking Twitter feud today. That is it a work? Is it not a work? It doesn't matter. It makes the promotion and the people involved look like shit involving Sammy Guevara and Andrade, which led to, uh, in the words of a deleted Ricky Starks tweet, man, can my coworkers just shut the fuck up for a minute? And that's the sense of it. Is yeah. It's like every fucking day there's something going on in a social media sense with AEW that doesn't really shine a positive light on things. And it combines with the idea now that we've seen, and, and Dave Meltzer brought this up, and a quote from him, they, meaning AEW, went from their own identity to instead being guys that WWE didn't want. You keep bringing in these WWE hotshot guys for a rating, and it's almost like TNA was, if you remember. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that does lend the ideas to the to the roster bloat, and it lends into the conversations that have been there about do certain guys want to leave, Andrade being one of them. You have all of that looming overhead, despite the on-screen product being good. And you have questions over injuries versus misuse of talent. You know, there have been the examples, and FTR is probably at the top of that list. Earlier this year in Boston, I was at the Dynamite where the Young Bucks wrestled FTR in what might end up being the TV match of the year. It was fucking astonishingly good. And how much have FTR really done since then? They haven't had a tag match for AEW since Forbidden Door in June. Like That's the last time they had a tag match on an AEW product. Like two on two. We should yes. clarify two on two. Yes, and that was that was a six man tag at Forbidden Door. From no, actually no, that was that was two on two. The uh, six that, man was an all out uh, with Wardlow that they were a part of that involved the Motor City Machine Guns. So yeah, the last was, time they had a two was, on two tag match was in June for was, AEW. Was Forbidden Door though? Was it a straight up two on two or was it a, yes, a four way? Um, I'm double checking here, but I'm quite sure. That it was a tag match, and looking here, no, it was it was a a, a three team tag match. Yeah, triple threat. United Empire and uh, Rapungi Vice. Yeah, so technically closer to a two v two tag match at the very least. But and Wardlow as well, even though it's been announced that he'll have a, a TNT title match against Brian Cage, which should be great. Biggie will be happy. Big meaty men slapping <laughs> meat. Two meaty men slapping meat, <laughs> bumping meat. <laughs> Pumping me. You want a five star match? Pump that. <laughs> it's one of the best clips of all time. It really is. Just, just, uh, oh, uh, Xavier Woods doing his best endo impression in the background, oh, too, the is laughing. absolutely amazing. Yes. Uh, Wardlow has had four singles matches since July 6th on AEW TV as the TNT champion. The question that people always have, though, is is it misuse or are there injuries? Because a lot of people were thinking that Chuck Taylor and the best friend stable got released and he's like, guys, I was hurt. And we've seen that happen now with a couple of people who have disappeared off TV. And it's like Miro. People are just like, is he hurt? What the hell happened there? Why isn't he on TV? You know, there's so there's so much of that where I feel like AEW just shoots themselves in the foot. And unfortunately, if you're online, 
it's very tough to just focus on the positives of the product when there is all of this going on of these weird random Twitter feuds and the fucking the all out controversy. And yeah, is this guy being misused? And oh, no, it's actually this. And, you know, Malachi Black being like, hey, I uh, requested my quote unquote release and then going and saying, well, no, I didn't. It's just it's been a tough time in some senses to be an AEW fan. That said, they are coming back to Boston in November. Am I going? Absolutely. But yeah, so we'll be able to talk about that show for podcasts to come. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but you're not wrong, right? It's just that idea of like, it sucks having to wonder, you know, am I wasting my time talking about, oh, where is this person? Tony Khan's blowing it as a booker. When in reality, it's like, well, if they are hurt, could you have not? In reality, they could be hurt. If they are hurt, just fucking say something. Yeah. Just say something. And so much of that negative negativity goes away. I understand like the privacy side of things. But for example, if Miro is hurt, what is wrong on TV with having Tony Schiavone be like, we understand that Miro has suffered an injury. He's going to be out of action for a little bit. Um don't agree with what he said about God, but I wish him well and hope he gets healthy soon. Like, and that would solve so much of the, the flow of negativity. Or and I think, you know, AEW, my big takeaway right now, despite it still being my favorite product is yeah. The, the conversations about growing pains are right uh, because I do think they can still learn better ways in which to handle things, especially on the injury front, because you're right. It's, it's crazy to be like, Oh yeah. FTR have barely had a tag match in the second half of the year so far on AWTV. And we don't know why. Right. Or you could use the professional wrestling trope of guy comes out. You either do know IRL that they're injured or you don't. And there's an injury angle that writes them off TV rather than they just disappear. That's uh, AEW has for the most part proven to be So one of my biggest pet peeves with WWE over the past decade or two is they really haven't looked to the past to build their future. Mm. Like feuds in the past were never brought up again. Uh, Whether or not they were revisited, if they refuted or teamed up together or like to use an example of you being mad about Riddle and um, and Rollins. And how they've been going back and forth with personal stuff lately. Say three months from now, they team up as a tag team and they don't bring up the animosity in their buddy buddies. Like to me, that is just absolutely bad booking. I don't think you could have them possibly be a tag team at this point. Well, not Um, not right away. It's a little bit different than, uh, say, Kurt Angle and Voldemort feuding over just who's the better wrestler back in the day. Like yeah. this, this was one of those like overly personal storylines where it's like, yeah, you know, it wouldn't make sense. And if it did, like there would really have to be a reason for it, like you're saying. But in the past, WWE wise, it would almost just be like, oh, they're a team now. Isn't it great? Yeah, they oh. were just booked that way. And all of a sudden they worked really well, like Cesaro and uh, and what's Shamo. his name? Shamo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make, though, is that they really just say, OK, that story's done. 
Like, whatever hook happened with Hook and Danhausen? Yeah, Danhausen is just now a best friend. He was a best friend, and then he was with Hook, and now he's back with the best friends. Right. Um, you know, in a I sense, mean, I think there was more clarification about that on a rampage, and that's a whole different issue. Is what happens on a rampage and how many people are paying attention to a rampage or to a right. dark. But how great would a hook Danhausen feud for a month be? Not great. I don't know. Cause I don't think you want either of them to get booed. <laughs> fair, fair. But like when those pairings really work and then you build it properly, DIY, I'll use as an example. Mm-hmm. Gargano and Champa was one of the best slow burns of all time of getting to the eventual breakup and uh, just one of the most classic feuds rivalries as far as I'm concerned in, uh, since the 2000s since Brett and, and Sean um, I agree I would have put that up there as one of the best feuds ever had it not unfortunately been derailed by injuries where they had to start yep. stop start stop it right but their storyline went on for about two years. Yeah. From tag team to final match against, and then it kind of rebuilt again where they kind of came together, which they didn't identify all the bad stuff. And then they turned on each other again. And then it's like, Oh yeah, no, they've had, you know, anyways, I digress. So I think AEW, uh, 2023 is going to be a huge year for AEW, depending on how 2022 ends up. I, I really hope, they either bring somebody in for damage control in the back end and, and says, hey, guys, listen, this is just a storm we have to weather. This is how we're going to get out of it. Or mm. they really better be learning a lot of lessons on booking. And you've said it a hundred times on this podcast, too. You don't not sign Adam Cole. You do not not sign Keith Lee and Swerve. You don't. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of great home sorry homegrown talent um but you don't not take advantage of those talents that wwe has given up but we're reaching critical get the bump see who works right for that brand filter it through and then you have hopefully still the best of your homegrown roster with the additions of the dudes that were let go because the transfer power in WWE didn't happen sooner and then right. smooth sailing. Hopefully. Cause That's I think one of the other, one of the other issues that AEW is going through too, is that they can't maintain that heavyweight title picture. And clearly uh, where, that plan just got thrown through a loop. That is one. That's maybe the biggest issue of the entire year is clearly the whole idea of CM Punk at the top of this promotion throughout the entire summer. It just blew up in their face. No, I get that. But outside of, Mox. Through all of that, when Mox didn't have the title, he always felt like a threat to win the title back. Mm. Jericho, to some extent, but I would make the argument that Jericho has been busy doing almost everything else than paying attention to the heavyweight title scene that he doesn't necessarily feel like a threat in that division anymore. Daniel Bryan. uh, Bryan Danielson. Daniel Uh, Bryan Danielson. Yeah, DBD DMS. Um, he doesn't feel like an absolute threat 
Whereas I'd love to see them build, as we talked about, WWE 2000. Big Show was always a threat. Mick Foley was always a threat. Stone Cold. Kane. Undertaker. Uh, the Rock. Uh, like, there was always Triple H. There was always this group mm-hmm. who you knew they would go off and have a different feud that didn't involve the belt, but it would always swing back to Anytime those you guys. put them in that in that picture and they'd be okay right and you yeah. knew that like one feud whoever won that feud would kind of lead into back into that heavyweight title picture hangman mm-hmm. page does not feel like a threat to the heavyweight title picture right now like basically anybody who has touched gold the uh, like kenny omega maybe in a few months when he looks like he's kind of back in ring shape and got his timing back and everything. I'm glad that they put the trios on him for the time being. Obviously, that's not a thing anymore. He theoretically is the biggest threat to Mox outside of MJF. I hope they Mm. give MJF a title run. But like the booking and the amount of people they have and how they have the secondary booking, I don't think is working right now for AEW. and, And clearly it's showing in the product. Shall we speed run our WWE thoughts? Because in terms of WWE, like, number one, again, I'm still not paying that much attention. I'm glad Chad Gable keeps getting focused. I saw the clip of him hitting the uh, the close to the chaos theory, I guess, on Braun Strowman on Monday. That was pretty cool. Uh, maybe knock some sense into Braun by dumping him on his head. Um, you know, they're moving towards extreme rules. I did see the news that Daniel Cormier is going to be the, the guest referee in the uh, fight pit match between Riddle and Rollins. So that's honestly pretty cool. Like as a fan of Daniel Cormier and knowing how big of a wrestling fan he is, that's neat. Um, Did you, I don't know if this is, this is spoiler. So, you know, I'm going to take 10 seconds. Uh, so when I say now, next time, just count to 10 and, uh, and uh, then come back to the podcast, just leave a running, take your phones out or put volume down for 10 seconds. Are you ready? Uh, the spoiler comes. Now, we're finally going to get Brock Lesnar and Daniel Cormier, but it's going to be in a WWE ring when this is all said and done. Now. Okay, so now, yeah. now, now. Hmm. Now. <laughs> we'll leave that for now. Yeah. So, you know, do you have any general thoughts on Raw or SmackDown from this week? Do you have any thoughts like Extreme Rules, if I'm not mistaken, is this weekend? Like, what's your hype level for that? And then I got one specific thing to talk about from a WWE perspective. I think I'm going to leave the main thing that I wanted to talk about, because just based on our conversations, I think it might be the thing you might want to talk about. Okay. Something about a uh, rodent and a certain no, color. Shockingly of rodent. not. Shockingly okay. not. I'm, I'm all in on, uh, on White Rabbit still. Um, it feels like Firefly Funhouse to me, because Firefly Funhouse went on for way too long and left us kind of wondering what was happening. Mm. as far as what the payoff was which the payoff was fantastic but to tell me at the beginning that you're going to get like a psycho clown uh killing joke joker or whatever you want to call it like just or no uh what was the in the family batman or whatever it was where he's got like somebody's face stretched on his face kind of thing Mm. um like if you told me that that was the payoff after watching firefly funhouse for the first time I would have just absolutely shut the TV off. So 
I'm I'm excited to see what happens this Sunday because apparently that's when the payoff is going to happen. Yeah. All the signs are pointing to Bray Wyatt. So, Tubes, I apologize to you because I told you it was Killer Cross. Right. Well, see, here's the thing that I like. I compare this very similarly to uh, that second ever Rampage show. Uh, the first dance or whatever, where it was the CM Punk debut. And they just nailed you over the head with it that it's going to be CM Punk to the point where it was so obvious that people are like, but maybe it's not. Maybe they're trying to swerve us because that's the IWC mindset is they're always trying to swerve us, which is what we should want. Like, it should be a good it's a good thing for them to deliver to us what they're promising. (laughs) Like, yes, Russo, the damage you've done. Holy fuck. Um, (laughs) Like, so. I'll, I'll say like extreme rules on paper, like WWE typically the, the the one thing they always had going for them over the past couple of years is that the pay-per-views pretty much always deliver mm-hmm. and extreme rules itself looks like it's going to be awesome. Like I'm looking at the card right now. I'm someone who barely pays attention to this product. That card's going to be awesome. That should be a damn good show. And it's an extreme rules pay-per-view where it's not just a bunch of normal matches and then one extreme rules match in the main event. You yeah, have a strap a match, an I quit match, a ladder match, a fight pit match. Like you have a six man tag team, good old fashioned Donnybrook match. Apparently, <laughs> um, that Shame that old. card's gonna be fucking awesome in the ring. The main hype around this card is yes, the thought that hey Bray Wyatt's coming back. This will be, and I, I think you'll remember when I said this. Like I need the proof and the evidence. Before I even attempt to look past some of the more moral standing issues I have with that company, just from an on-screen perspective, I need the proof to be in the pudding that the booking is better. Yes. And for all the complaints people have had for AEW booking about follow-up, there is nobody that the WWE has struggled with more in his time with that promotion in terms of follow-up than Bray Wyatt. The Prove only, to me uh, that yeah, you can get ahead. Bray Wyatt right, and I will be that much closer to reconsidering watching and supporting your product again. Like, look, it's cool. You have Survivor Series in Boston. It's a War Games themed pay per view. Ten years ago, I, I'd have been there. I'm not going. Maybe I'll regret not going. Bray Wyatt is one of those primary examples, and I told you, this was my falling out with with that promotion, aside from some of the more shadier shit about talent relation, about Saudi Arabia, so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. was their inability at the main roster level to properly capitalize on what these NXT talents were bringing to the table. And Bray Wyatt was almost immediately fumbled when he debuted in 2013, by being put in the worst Inferno match of all time against Kane. It was horrific. And then what happens? He loses big matches. He loses more big matches. Hey, he won the WWE title, but he's going to lose the big match to Randy Orton while, ooh, this creepy crawly bugs on the mat. Ooh, like, <laughs> it's a new regime. Prove to me that you can get this guy right because this has been... Granted, he has made that company a fuckload of money, mm-hmm. but it's the old adage about Vince McMahon for years. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. Bray Wyatt has made you millions when he could have made you hundreds of millions. Right. right. Like for as much as people can argue, like, oh, but they got him right. He was champion and 
they have had way more fucking misses than than wins with Bray Wyatt, and it's not the dude's fault. I refuse to believe that. So that is one of your first big challenges here for me as a lapsed fan. Prove to me you can get this fucking can't-miss guy right, especially after this. Like, if you blow this with the hype level that this White Rabbit shit has had, like, you cannot fuck this up. Six months from now, we can't be talking about how Bray Wyatt's not in this gigantic program at WrestleMania or not in a huge, you know, situation or program at SummerSlam next year. They have to get this right. It is scary to think that you had to put Bray Wyatt in a match with a guy that you needed to provide hours upon hours of documented footage of his prime 20 years ago. And to even think that he was a threat to the hottest thing in professional wrestling in Goldberg. I'm talking mm-hmm. about Goldberg here, just in case. <laughs> and you just wanted Goldberg to have the belt for, I think it was a Saudi Arabia match or whatever it was. So that was <laughs> talk about the like crossover that's... of I feel gross about their partnership with Saudi Arabia and the booking is terrible. Yeah, it was. Right having Goldberg beat the fiend for the title and then Goldberg loses that belt. I believe at the WrestleMania a month or two later, like it was, which was supposed to go to somebody else. And I can't remember who it was, but they got injured. It was supposed to to be Roman Reigns at the COVID mania. And then Reigns opted out because of his medical history and he lost it to Strowman. Um, I love Bill Goldberg, by the way. He's like in terms of like, as a kid growing up when I did not yeah. to make you feel old again, uh, dude, yeah. Bill Goldberg, like, come on, I fucking loved him. Uh, but yeah, you want to talk about like, bad in the ring, though. You wanted uh, and not even just his second and third WWE runs, but like legitimately since day one, you want to talk about having to protect a guy <laughs> in the ring. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, he, he, he got decent <laughs> to a point, but, you know, like he should be in like the role of how AEW books sting. But that's an entirely yeah. different conversation yeah, yeah. again in regards to that. But you're right, like to bring up that specific example of Wyatt losing the title there. I'm uh, I think for me, I'm going to enjoy the pay-per-view, uh, the Helmsley era of uh, WWE hasn't missed at pay-per-views. Um, therefore, I'm going to enjoy the pay-per-view. I'm not really all that excited about any one particular match, but mm-hmm. I am going to be tuning in for White Rabbit, and it's going to be the uh, final moment of the pay-per-view. Has to be, right? Which, which, there'll be recaps of what's happened, but I think this could be a pay- if they really wanted to do it right. I think White Rabbit just wreaks havoc on the entire pay-per-view little by little, inch by inch as we get closer to the main event and I don't see a finish line like if it is Bray Wyatt who does he come in and go up against when you've got Austin Theory Austin Theory still has the the money in the bank well Roman's not on the pay-per-view so I don't really think Theory's too big of a concern no but I mean in that spot like how do you have a guy with the chip oh I I know where he's going in terms of where where Wyatt's going at least for sure yeah um, now, as much as I think, you know, Ronda and Liv is an Extreme Rules main event makes a lot of sense. 
Did you see that they focused on Ronda on the poster? (laughs) I don't think that can be the main event. Because what, I mean, Bray Wyatt has to be the final shot. Otherwise, that crowd's going to be burned out for the rest of the show. You're going to blow it. Right. You cannot have Bray Wyatt return and then put on Ronda Rousey, Liv Morgan. You'd screw those two women over. It wouldn't be fair to them. Yep. Fight pit. I think it's in the fight pit. And I think I like it. I like he it. goes after a guy who just, I believe, in a kayfabe sense, called him out in the media, Seth Rollins, saying everyone who feuded with The Fiend was worse off with it afterwards, which he was right, by the way. I mean, Jesus Christ, his title reign ending the way it did. Yes. You know, he did say in that article, he did say in that interview, too, that he wanted another shot with the fiend. That's the most obvious shout to me. If you're immediately going to start him feuding off with somebody on this card, it's not going to be McIntyre or Cross. It's keep him as far away from the fucking judgment day as possible. If he's going to start a feud with anyone on this card, it's going to be by attacking Riddle or, in my guess, Seth Rollins. I can't. I got nothing. I, I love it. Back to the mailbag for our second question. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, though, because the, the WWE thing I wanted to talk about, Hawks yes. brings this up. Um, say you've been given the green light to create a storyline for Cody Rhodes' eventual return. How would you book him once he returns and why? Fightful had the headline out that Vince McMahon had no solidified plans for Cody Rhodes to win a world title. Which, if that's true, I mean, Jesus Christ, it, it, there you go. Exhibit A as to why I wouldn't fucking watch that product anymore, because holy fuck. Um, yeah, bottom line is Cody Rhodes should beat Roman Reigns for the world title or one of the two titles at WrestleMania this year. Especially if you want to try to, uh, you know, respond to the apparent issues within AEW. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that a lot, and it's been only yeah, amplified as the summer's gone on. Prove to the talent within AEW that this is a new regime. We will treat you right if you come back, even if we allegedly tamper with your contracts and piss off Tony Khan, rightfully so. Um, yeah, no, you you make Cody Rhodes world champion in April, no doubt about it. He and if they don't, then I think that says all you need to know. I mean, unless it's like literally, who can take that title off of Roman? Cody or the Fiend? That's no. it. None of this rock match bullshit. If you're going to have there be a match Roman against the rock, it does not need to be for the titles. That is very similar to what they did with fucking Goldberg and Brock by taking the belt off of Kevin Owens. Like you don't need it. Say it louder for the people in the back. Holy crap. (laughs) Or the rock and uh, John Cena too. Uh Uh-huh. Did not need the title. Mm Mm-hmm. That's another one of those big tests I'm looking for, not Andrew Martin, but one of those tests that I'm looking for from this new regime has proved to me you're not the same as the old regime when it comes to making these decisions. Prove that you learned. There's only one guy, and you'll laugh, but it's Sami Zayn. And (laughs) he is doing... I knew knew you'd snicker. I knew you'd be like, why Sami Zayn? Sami Zayn is one of the most entertaining things in professional wrestling right now. With his honorary ooze. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. My my point is yes. you're not going to make Sami Zayn world champion, even though I'd love that. But you can make Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens tag champs and ending the Usos record reign in the process. See, 
I tweeted uh, last week. That's a mistake. If Sami Zayn, if Sami Zayn isn't going to walk away with one of the belts, mm-hmm. what are we even doing here? Because sooner or later, we saw a little bit of it when he got his honorary use T-shirt. We saw a little bit of you know, uh, a little bit between him and Roman Reigns, which I was like, okay, I want to see a little bit more of this. And then they kind of pulled you back. I one hundred percent agree that I think it's going to go the way that you're saying with Kevin Owens and uh, and uh, the uh, the Usos. Mm. But just imagine for a, a little bit. This goes on for a few more months, and uh, Roman Reigns starts to kind of not feel comfortable with Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn is so over right now. It's it it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. That if they wanted to continue this as a bad guy thing for the bloodline, what better way than to kick Sami Zayn out and he becomes that now, like now he's inspired. Now he's got that thing that needs him to get over the edge, which bring in Kevin Owens is the next guy in line for the title, whether it's transitional or what have you, but still. <laughs> Kevin Owens has not been the greatest tag team partner hmm. <laughs> in the history of professional wrestling. He is well, such a good, he's such a good uh, face, but he is an amazing heel. So, and we saw it, we've seen it in uh, NXT where he's a good guy one minute and then slams Sami Zayn. And then t- to see those two go at it for the title, that would be a rivalry I don't want to see again unless there's high stakes. Uh, on it and I would love to see Kevin Owens with a title run again as well there was a an ROH championship uh, tag title run between uh, well Kevin Kevin Owens and a wrestler by the name of El Generico and I think that proved that Kevin Owens can be a pretty good tag team partner don't don't pay attention to what happened afterwards um, <laughs> you know there may be a t-shirt that had El Generico's uh, dismembered head on a chair <laughs> during the subsequent feud. <laughs> Ring right. of Honor was fucking crazy back in the day. Um, yeah. See, it's stuff like that where I'm like, man, if they can deliver on, just prove to me you can deliver on this. Yes. Give give me the urge to want to ignore the fact that you do shady business shit. Yeah. And I think, I think like for every, me... Go ahead. I think for me, Sami Zayn walking out of this with a tag team title isn't it. Hmm. I think there's enough that they can do to build him up. And now it's on Roman Reigns to bring him up to that next level. And I think that's something that to be a true champion, uh, the guy in the company is who you bring along with you, as opposed to just being the guy who sells the most t-shirts and does the best ratings, which there is something too, but you always got to bring in that next guy in. And even if, even if Sami Zayn's the next Kofi Kingston, where you only get a couple months and then he never gets another sniff, don't care. Where this thing is going, for me, it either needs to finish with a Sami Zayn uh, title run or Kevin Owens joins the bloodline. <laughs> we hit our final question of today's show. This one comes from good friend of the show at RichardHead93. How old were you when you had your first kiss? So how I would book um, how I would book Cody Rhodes yeah. is um, I think it's I think it's more booking everybody around him. 
putting mm. him in a situation where I think he he's another guy who comes back with um, Seth Rollins because that that didn't finish as much as you know he got the win at Hell in a Cell. I think uh, Seth Rollins would want one more shot. I don't know who else. more matches. Let's go. Right. Um, but after hearing that promo about his dad and the only thing his dad wasn't able to do was win the WWF heavyweight title. Um, and the other thing too recently is uh, uh, the anniversary of Cody Rhodes, dashing Cody Rhodes, bringing back the historic uh, Intercontinental title was heavy mm. on uh, social media. Uh, especially on uh, WWE's accounts. So I the end result has to be a Cody Rhodes heavyweight title run uh, with all the things that you've mentioned too, especially with AEW and the, the turmoil that they're in, even if they figure it out by March, that would be a great way to say, look what we did with a guy you couldn't do anything with um, or couldn't figure out while he was there or whatever. Um, but I would love to see the wing winged eagle as well also the answer to richard head's question uh kindergarten yeah dang all right like (laughs) first like real kiss though uh first one that really meant anything was uh it's probably grade seven yeah yeah same time for me 12 13 right in that range yeah 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 there you go uh, had a neighbor, then she moved. What could have been? <laughs> <laughs> As the the actual married one on this, I'm not going to admit to anything else. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> don't read into that either. Don't. I don't. No. Just don't. You can contact Crash's wife via snail mail at P.O. Box right. 1217. Sla- okay, well, let's not do that. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> notice, how, <laughs> notice how he's not asking how I know about the P.O. Box because there's there's some stories there. You've Crash, sent buddy. me stuff. I've sent you stuff. That's true. <laughs> Thank Ooh, you for the shady shit going on. Oh, hey, oh, oh, do I say the name? Do I say that we haven't said this name yet on this podcast? There's two things you sent me autographed by a certain individual who has not been mentioned on the show yet. <laughs> do we give the listeners a bingo or do you hit them with the Bobby Heenan? We'll find out in one second. Again, reminder, you can follow Crash on Twitter at Crash underscore Andrews. Twitch.tv forward slash Crash Andrews, all one word. I am everywhere at Tugi 24 T-O-U-G-I-E 24. Crash, how are we ending the show? It's not with a mention of Bret Hart, so okay. Um, I had one and then I lost it. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. God, I um, I got one. Okay, I got one. Um, (laughs) from a great WCW pay per view, as Brian Pillman snuck up behind him shortly after a neck injury. The fuck are you doing? (laughs) We'll see you next week, everybody.